I'm Liz Wall. And I'm Jessica Aro. Welcome to the Information War podcast, where we cover information warfare and the disinformation campaigns weaponized to break down democracy. I'm Liz Wall. And I'm Jessica Aro. And today joining us is the Ukrainian energy expert and environmental activist Natalia Katser-Butchkovska. She has served in the Ukrainian parliament, chairing the subcommittee on sustainable development. And she's also the co-founder of the Ukrainian Sustainable Fund, which aims to accelerate Ukraine to sustainable energy. And she's written extensively on these topics, and we are so happy to have her insight and expertise today, as she's such an inspiration to all. Welcome, Natalia. Uh, good day, everyone. We want to uh, discuss today with you also really about the area of your expertise in hybrid threats, uh, including energy security. And I would like to open with uh, the question, what really disturbs me so much is that Russia's Rosneft and other state-controlled energy companies are led by seconded FSB officers and many belong in Vladimir Putin's closed circle. Uh, Can you please describe to people who maybe don't have earlier knowledge about this, uh, how much would countries open up themselves to Russian influence operations if they make oil or gas deals with Russian state-controlled energy companies? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, energy is uh, one of uh, maybe few very important industries which is affected by war. Basically, um, it's wise to say that uh, uh, Russia uses energy as a weapon, uh, as a tool to blackmail West and to destabilize Ukraine, which is not secret. So you saw whatever you leave, uh, uh, you you saw the price peaks and there's a shortage of energy and it's still, it's summer, it's still not winter and fall. So uh, the crisis would uh, um, deteriorate uh, because of uh, all countries, EU, US, uh, uh, Ukraine, for sure. So we need to redesign our energy systems, not to be dependent on Russia gas flows, as well as uh, oil. So today you saw that the European Union finally uh, announced the oil embargo. So now for Russian oil embargo, so now two thirds of uh, supplies would be cut. So one third will still be uh, on the place, but uh, uh, there is a plan to make it zero. Why? Because like um, it's a main proceed, and uh, from these proceeds uh, to Russian budget, they are financing the war, and you see the consequences of this war. I'm Ukrainian and can sp- uh, speak for hours uh, how uh, brutal, uh, how uh, horrible and uh, unfair this war is. Uh, but uh, as a European, as the EU and the rest of the world, you also feel the consequences is of this war. So first of all, it would be turbulence with energy supply, maybe some shortage, uh, as well as for sure there would be price, uh, the prices would increase uh, uh, over the globe. 
Ukraine is one of the world's most important suppliers of grain and sunflower oil. Russia's blockade of Black Sea ports has halted shipments. Ukrainian President Zelensky has accused Russia of using food as a weapon. In addition to Russia using energy as a weapon and, and blackmail, as you just said, um, the, the consequences of the war in Ukraine uh, are far-reaching. Uh, you've written about it being... Uh, it's very clearly a humanitarian crisis. The world can can see that in the documented war, range of war crimes. Um, but beyond its borders, you've written about you've written about the impact on food and security energy. As you detail in an article, Ukraine grows enough food to feed 400 million people worldwide, including 50 percent of the world's sunflower oil supply, 10 percent of the worldwide grain supply. So because of this war, crops likely a large percentage won't be planted and supply chains have been disrupted. Can you tell us about the security impact of all this and the possibility for a global food crisis? Well, maybe it's as a, well, the, the biggest issue for um the rest of the world. So if we are here in, in Ukraine, in Europe, we feel the consequences of physical war directly because of humanitarian crisis. So five million Ukraine fled to Europe uh, and around and countries around. So uh, if you are just normal European, you can feel the consequences of this war. Uh, energy as well, but food is, uh, honestly speaking, maybe the biggest far-reaching uh, consequences because, uh, as you mentioned, 400 million people around the globe, they was uh, fed by, um, by Ukraine. And uh, it's uh, like uh, African Middle East country from 30, 50, even 100% dependent on uh, Ukrainian grain supply. The IMF this week said, quote, the war in Ukraine means hunger in Africa. The World Food Programme is also warning of a catastrophe, saying half of the grain it uses to feed the needy originates in Ukraine. And could you imagine Ukraine could not export anything now, like very tiny, tiny amount of what we're producing, uh, because Russia um, they blocked Black Sea, and 90% of our ex exports uh, went through the Black Sea. So now we have this huge problem with infrastructure, and it's not possible to expand it in one day or two months, uh, even maybe year. So we will feel this. Uh, there is a infrastructural bottleneck on uh, the western Ukrainian border and lack of capacity to transport uh, food, uh, wheat, uh, oil, uh, sunflowers, oil to Europe and the rest of the world. And it's a huge, huge problem because um, uh, as a consequence, there could be a hunger in poor country and the uh, enormous increase of prices in European and Western countries and some shortage of some products, for sure. And it would have also consequences. So uh, it, it could con uh, the consequences could be some political unrest, the rise of populism, additional migration up to Ukrainian migration. It could be migration from the poorer country who will experience the hunger. And uh, I just came from World Economic Forum and 
at every every meeting, so this question was discussed as one of the most important to the work. So what would be how you can meet these needs and it's not possible now to, to expand infrastructure in few months. So we are thinking about how to do, how maybe to build additional ports, how to build additional roads, rail, railways from Ukraine to to Western Europe and in such a way to connect Ukraine with the rest of the world. But it's not like easy, cheap and one day decision. Uh, so the consequences of food crisis could be very, very wide, and uh, I'm afraid uh, that we are approaching one another global crisis. Uh, thinking then of the countermeasures against Russia's atrocities, uh, how do you view the energy-related sanctions at the moment against Russia? Are they making any difference at all, or should there maybe be more sanctions? Well, uh, still, uh, yes, West imposed a draconic sanction on, on Russian Federation and Europe and US, UK, uh, all together. Some countries uh, uh, don't, but uh, still they, they lose maybe 20% of their GDP now. So their economy is declining, but declining slowly. But still, before this oil and gas embargo, what I said mentioned before, uh, they receive one trillion per day here for this gas and oil uh, uh, trade. So, and all this money go to the most of this money go to the military and to support war in in, in our territory in Ukraine. Uh, so it's quite unfair. For instance, from one side. Uh, Russia supports Ukraine financially and uh, military, but from the other side, uh, they are still paying Russia and they buying weapons and they are um, fueling this war in, in our territory. So, like, why do we uh, support uh, all this all this cycle? Uh, so, therefore. I think, uh, and uh, there should be 100% uh, embargo and no any trade with this country until they uh, they have an active war action in our Ukrainian territory. In addition to your expertise on energy security, Natalia, you've also been outspoken about Russia's information warfare. And Ukrainians have been on the front lines of Russia's information war since at least 2014. Um, what have been some of the most dangerous forms of Russian disinformation since the war has started? Oh, well, as I said, and they mentioned that this is war is not traditional one. It's a hybrid war in 21st century since the center of Europe, which is like unprecedented since, war, since World War II. Uh, so Russian also use uh, hybrid threats, uh, hybrid attacks on our um, territory, in our territory, economic, uh, food, uh, energy, as well as informational campaign. This war is not like about uh, Russia want to invade Ukraine and, and take some territories. It's much broader. So it's a like war between democracy and autocracy. And uh, if you are talking about the outcome of this war, far-reaching, so if Ukraine win, it would mean the democracy still working, it's still alive. If Ukraine will uh, be defeated, so uh, it would have a 
uh, well, the outcome for democratic world as uh, a whole. So all this autocratic regime around the globe, they will feel much more stronger and they will feel that it's possible to behave like this. It is possible to invade independent countries. It's possible to violate human rights, uh, to use a prohibited weapon, uh, to interfere in someone's election, to kill people abroad. So it would be like a very big systematic problem with the democracy and with the world order. And according to your expertise, uh, how would you say uh, Russia's hybrid threats from energy to food to information warfare and everything in between, how should they be best countered in a manner that their dangerous impact would be as minimal as possible? Uh, well, first of all, I suppose the big role of media. So media should, first of all, show the truth uh, and uh, um, try also to reach these territories which raise the problem with freedom of speech and uh, to convince people that uh, there is a different point of view and uh, why is the truth, encourage people critical thinking because you have a, you are overloaded by information, even in Western democracies, so you can find different uh, different information. And this information is also active here. But you have different sources, you can compare, you can look, uh, talk, and uh, you can find the uh, truth, but which is not the case, for instance, in some autocratic states. Um, so I suppose uh, I suppose media media role is very important to show for maybe it's not pleasant thing for instance to see what's happening in Ukraine with all this uh, all this uh, population around Kiev which is very painful for everyone in in Ukraine and outside but it's better to see and to understand what does it mean when one country um, like autocratic, uh, just decide to invade other countries, just no reason, create some like fair tales, which is has nothing to do with the truth, just to invade and to justify uh, uh, massive, uh, massive uh, uh, massacre of uh, civilians. So, well, it's maybe role of media first of all states and uh, people first of all to think and to to have some critical critical uh, vision on everything i'm glad that you brought that up um because i that th there's this bigger picture that you've been alluding to um you know and what's at stake for the global world order You've argued, and I agree, that Russia's invasion of Ukraine raises questions about matters of national sovereignty, and the big picture is this democracy versus autocracy. Um, and that's really important, I think, to keep in mind, because as the war drags on, you know, people's attention spans, uh, they're short these days, and it can be easy to lose sight of this bigger picture. Even in the U.S. now, people understand generally the importance and of the war in Ukraine and are horrored, are, are, uh, have been horrified, rather, by the war crimes. But sometimes you hear even liberals saying, um, you know, there's always suffering in the world and we only care about Ukraine because it's a European country. I'm just re reiterating some arguments that I've heard. Others question the value of using American resources to support Ukraine, and it can be politically polarizing. Um, 
But, you know, this is not the majority. And much of the thinking is impacted, I believe, by Russian propaganda, by Russian disinformation and by skewed media, as you just alluded to. So to reiterate, there's so much more at stake when it comes to the war in Ukraine with the greater battle of autocracy versus democracy. Uh, Can you elaborate on that? Uh, so this is quite uh, dangerous because the next could be Poland, the next could be Moldova, Lithuania, Baltic states. You see uh, Scandinavian states, they decided to join NATO even they uh, didn't uh, was not intended to do it before. So world is changing and this danger is very acute for everyone. So even if you are living in somewhere in Africa, in Middle East and never heard about Ukraine, but now you're affected because you will not receive next uh, grain supplies this this autumn. And thinking about geopolitics, so how the, uh, how the autocracy will behave if for instance, Russia will succeed. So, well, it would be good, like, why don't we take this, uh, grab this land, this land? Uh, what will be thinking these countries who has nuclear power? Uh, and I believe that uh, the only right uh, consequences and uh, the only right way is for, for, first of all, Ukraine to win in this war. And it would mean that uh, democracy matters and democracy can defend themselves. Thank you so much, Natalia, for your insights. I truly hope that Western politicians and beyond will listen to your wise words. And I can only hope that uh, you will get all the military and other assistance uh, that as you need in Ukraine. And we with Liz want to bring you information, support as much as we can. But thank you so much, Natalia. This was awesome. Natalia, thank Thank you you so much for your insight and your wisdom. It's a pleasure.